Welcome to the One Step Closer podcast. My name is Eric Lapata, and I am one of the lead pastors at the chapel. And I'm joined with our producer, who's also one of our worship leaders at our campuses, Spencer Eller. Hey. And we get the opportunity of interviewing, I would say, one of the most humble, kind, <laughs> transparent people I've ever met. Yes, Ed, I'm talking about you. <laughs> In fact, when I asked this guest, Ed Rush, to be our first ever interview on our podcast, he says, why me? I'm not special. And I said, that's exactly why we want you, Ed, because you are so humble and your story is really incredible. And I think it's going to bless a lot of people. I've known Ed uh, for almost three years. That's when he started to come to the chapel. And when we thought about who is the best guest to kick us off, I knew it was going to be Ed. And so, Ed... As a part of our podcast, uh, we want to ask you four questions. We're going to talk about your history. So just to get to know you and where you've been, we're going to ask you about some of the hurdles that you've gone through in life, some things you've had to overcome to get where you're at today. And then we're going to ask what's on the horizon, meaning what's, what's ahead? What's getting you out of bed? What are you looking forward to? But the first question, and they all start with H, by the way, because that's just what pastors do. Uh, the first one is going to be a hobby. What is it for you, Ed, that you just love to do that you spend a ton of time doing in your life? What is that hobby? Well, it's it's been <clears throat> a hobby. It's been a passion. It's been a living um, aviation. Um, I... I have been involved with other things, but uh, mostly in my uh, 73 years, it's been aviation. I, uh, the first words out of my mouth when I was a kid was mommy, daddy, and airplane, and not necessarily in that order. <laughs> so um, I've, I've, I've been uh, fortunate to be involved in aviation for a long time. So I know you have some crazy stories when it comes to flying airplanes. You told me one a few months ago that I th literally thought to myself, if I were in your shoes, I would want to die. <laughs> but you somehow pulled it through. So tell me what happened to you a few months ago when all of a sudden you were flying a plane and then the engine oh, cut out. Well, last year, um, I never have any time to work on my own airplanes. Uh, I, I have owned this airplane for a number of years. And I finally got it back together, and I was flying it from one airport. It's an antique. It's a 1941 airplane. And I was flying it from one airport to another, and I was about halfway to the second airport when uh, I noticed that the uh, oil pressure was going down on the airplane. And uh, so I made an immediate turn toward a, an airplane, airport about 10 miles away and uh, throttled way back. And I was talking to the engine as I went along. I said, come on, baby, another couple of minutes here. I know you're hurting. Just keep, just keep running. And uh, the engine ran up to the point where I cleared the fence on the airport by about six inches and plunked it into the grass next to the runway. Oh, my goodness. And um, after... 50 years plus in the air that was the first time i ever had a total engine failure and it was on my airplane thank goodness i didn't mess up somebody else's so, unbelievable yeah. and you came out okay oh yeah oh yeah the airplane wasn't hurt it just uh, you know cost me a bunch of parts for the engine one of these days when i get time i'll get it back in the air again wow so you are definitely an experienced pilot and well, so <laughs> 
I, I'm still alive. Let's put it that's that right. Way. Well, we're glad that you're After alive all these years. So, well, yes. Ed, you obviously aviation is a big part of your story, um, and I know a lot of your story. But I want to go back in time. I want to go back to your history. I want to hear, Ed, where have you come from, and who or what has made you who you are today? Well, back in the in my early childhood, I was involved um, in a uh, well. My family was was religious, especially my father. But to me, uh, back then, uh, the religion that we were taught was pointed fingers and loud voices. Mm. And, and that was the way that my father uh, expressed himself also. And, and consequently, I crawled back into a hole, and I never thought that I measured up uh, when I was a kid. Um, very, little, very little encouragement or, or praise, but uh, always a pointed finger and a raised voice. And so my father and I uh, were distant for all of my young life. Um, I really didn't have a lot of direction during my days in school and such. And when I got out of school and met the real world, uh, I made some mistakes. And uh, my father uh, pretty much ostracized me. Um, And when I talked to the people in the religious community who I had been, who I had been uh, in communication with in my young life, I was told that I could um, attend, but I could no longer participate because of the mistakes that I had made. So I decided at that point in time that it was pretty obvious to me that God did not want much to do with me. Hmm. And so I just said, okay, uh, uh, have a great life. I'll take it from here. And uh, for the next 50 years, I was very distant from any form of religion. During that 50 years, I saw much of the world. I met a great many people of other religions and races, came to love most of them. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that during that 50 years, the Lord had had his hand on my shoulder and had been guiding me and showing me all of these things, all of these countries that I saw and all of these people who I met and all of the, the, uh, the projects that I was involved in. He, he was teaching me. And it wasn't until about three years ago uh, that I started to realize that. Now, Ed, when you when you were growing up with your dad and even this this bad relationship with God, I'm grateful that obviously, and we'll get to that part of your story in a little bit, how you've come back to that. But I remember you telling me at one point that because of your relationship with your dad, um, you told me that it really left this hole in your heart and it led you to do some things and become somebody that you didn't even like? Well, yes. Um, The distance from my father bothered me. Uh, I wanted to be close to my father, but we we didn't become that way until the later years of his life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, he left us in 2000 at the age of 88. Wow. Um, and um, for the 10 years or so before he passed away, he and I had gradually become closer and closer until we were lucky enough at the end of his life that there was nothing left unsaid wow. between the two of us. That's awesome. We were close. Yeah. We were, and it, it, it took 78 years for us to start to begin that way and another 10 years for us to be able to talk and laugh and joke with each other and, and be like father and son should have been in the beginning. Uh, did you feel, Ed, as you grew up, um, and even after you, you got out of the house, did you ever feel like you were repeating some of your dad's behaviors or becoming like your dad oh, in many very ways? very much so. Very much so. My father was had a temper. Uh, I had a temper. <laughs> um, people tended to walk a wide berth around me because I was so, sort of a volatile individual. My father was a volatile individual. I became one. I had my own demons. Mm-hmm. I uh, had the emptiness inside from losing my relationship with the family, and especially mm-hmm. my father, and from actually losing my early uh, religious uh, uh, affirmation. Um, when I was told that I didn't measure up, um, that also added to the internal pain, which I had for many, many years. It was, it was a constant thing, even in, during the times that I uh, was in a period of, of joy. I would, be, I would be successful at something or such. When I would be very happy, there was always an emptiness, a, mm. great, a, a huge emptiness. How did you see that play out? in your own life when it comes to your daughter? I know you have a daughter named Tracy, and did you guys have a good relationship when we she did. was growing up? We did. Um, I tried to do things differently with my daughter than what had been done with me. I tried to be supportive with her um, and to teach her uh, to be to be with other people and, and understand other people and be respectful of other people. And even though we went through teenagerdom, which <laughs> is rough, um, today she, uh, she's 38 years old and I'm incredibly proud of her. Wow. Uh, and we, uh, except for a few years there in teenagerdom, we were just inseparable. Mm. And we are again. We're very close. When you were growing up and you ended up, as you became even as an adult, um, I know, and I want to transition you to our next question, which is our hurdles. I know a hurdle that you had to overcome that was one of your demons was alcoholism. Yeah. Um, yeah, I freely admit it. Uh, I drank too much. Um, it was a way to put out some of the fire. Uh, I self-medicated from an early age. I, I discovered beer at about the age of probably 13 or 14. And I, you know, whenever I was able to find some alcohol, I would, I would drink it. And uh, 
Was that the dull the pain from the your pain. relationship with your dad? Yeah. It yeah. was self-medication. Wow. I um, drank heavily. Uh, never when I worked. Um, that was a... <laughs> I don't know how I, I managed not to do that, but uh, just about every night um, I would imbibe to the point uh, of being unable to function well. Uh, and I did that for many, many, many years. Um, it was it was a problem. Yeah. Uh, I was what they called a functional alcoholic. I, I worked and I, uh, I had working relationships with people and managed to carry that on successfully and at the same time was an alcoholic. Did you ever try quitting over the years or oh, yes. did it not really matter? I tried. Uh, I was in and out of AA. Wow. Uh, I would sometimes go for a couple of months. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was rough. Uh, I'd go for a couple of months with AA and then I'd fall off the wagon. Um, I was extremely lucky in my life. Mm in that uh, the alcohol uh, never caused me to have legal problems uh, or problems with my occupation. Mm -hmm. I managed to hold on to it enough, to limit it enough that I didn't have, uh, I didn't have legal problems or a problem with my, with my uh, aviation. Were you ever, ever able to tell your dad why you struggle with alcohol, were you able to say, I want you to know I started drinking in an early age and a lot of that had to do with you. How did, how did you overcome that hurdle with your dad and tying that to the alcohol part of your life? I, I don't think we ever directly addressed that. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I know we didn't, we didn't directly address that problem. Um, when I would be with my father, uh, occasionally he would bring out his quote unquote nerve medicine mm. and uh, that was a that was a, a, a bottle of rather good whiskey and uh, he and I would sit at the kitchen table and we would have a, a shot of whiskey and we'd sit there and we'd talk about we'd talk about my sisters and we'd talk about uh, the the events of the time, and we'd talk about uh, going to the fair in my hometown and things like that. And we got to the point where we were very comfortable with that. And occasionally, my father would add something uh, to the effect that he wished he had done various things different when we were kids. Mm. And that really was all I needed. Wow. I didn't need to address it directly. Um, I heard my dad say that he wished he'd done some things differently, and that just, uh, it made me comfortable with him. Mm. Now, those who are listening, I assume many are sitting here thinking about their own relationship with their dad, and unfortunately, a lot of people have poor relationships with their dad. What would you say to the person that is wrestling with how to talk to their dad or trying to forgive their dad? What, what would you tell that person today? 
I personally think that there, there may be people out there who cannot reach reconciliation. Mm. Um, I was a lucky one. Yeah. And my dad and I had reached a, uh, uh, a rapport uh, late in his life that we were both very lucky to have because we never had that early yeah. on. There may be people out there whose fathers would not be receptive to uh, to a reconciliation, um, or there may be fathers out there whose children are not receptive to a reconciliation. And what you can do in a situation like that is go talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if 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 you can't. If you can't reach a rapport with someone, go talk to somebody else. Mm. Tell them about it. Mm. Get get an opinion. Go talk to a counselor. Um, that's one of the ways that I was able to conquer some of the problems in my life was to talk. Finally, after many, many years, I talked to a, a very accomplished counselor. And he arrange, rearranged a lot of things in my mind, helped me rearrange a lot of things in my mind uh, that had been confusing to me. Mm-hmm. And in uh, talking to this fellow, um, I was able to put the pieces of the puzzle where they belonged mm-hmm. and learn a lot about myself and about people in my past. Um, it didn't. It didn't take away all the pain, but at least let me know why I had the pain. And when you when you understand something like that, uh, you can begin to deal with it. So, it sounds like you didn't start counseling till later in life. I mean, you're 73, right? So I, you started counseling a couple about, years ago. Yeah, about 70. So it's in your 70s. You finally go see a counselor after all these years. Mm-hmm. What was that breaking point for you that you said, "Hey"? It's time. It's never too late to go to counseling. What was that for you? I realized that for quite a while, I had been sitting around waiting to die. Mm. And I had to, I had to admit to myself that um, I had to do something about the way I felt. I just had to do something. I couldn't go on mm. uh, like I was. And one of the big breaks was beginning to come to the chapel mm-hmm. and beginning to listen to the teaching and beginning to learn about Christ and to relate myself back to the Christian Christian religion, back to Christianity. Um, and in, in beginning to do that, I was introduced to a counselor mm-hmm. and um, it, it was tremendously helpful. Tremendously helpful. And I will go again. Yeah. I mean, I'm a work in progress. Sure. I love the spirit of peace that you just have about you. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's today. <laughs> well, whatever it is, you're, you're pulling it off real well. And I, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who are in the midst of, of, um, I don't know, an alcohol problem or in the midst of a, a like a difficult season with family or, um, and can really relate to a lot of aspects that you've gone through. And just one more time for the person who is in the midst of that season, um, who's like on the border of, should I go to counseling or shouldn't I like what, 
I, what would you say to that person to, to really push them in that direction of, yes, go, go to counseling. How, how did that, that moment happen? Talk to somebody. Yeah. Don't bottle it up. Um, I had bottled it up for such a long time. When, and, and on the Thursday at two o'clock that I mentioned, um, I sat down with him and the tears began to roll. And I said, I need uh, to talk to someone and I need to find someone who can help me deal with all of the facts and put the puzzle pieces in the right places. Yeah. Going to counseling does not make you a better person, but listening and discussing and thinking with a, with a bit of direction to tap you on to the right program and the right path, it's invaluable. Mm. Invaluable. Mm. It, just, it doesn't happen overnight until you work at it. It, yeah. takes, it takes work. And I finally got to the point where I needed, where I wanted to work on it. Yeah, we need community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm much better off than I was a few years ago, but I want to keep working on it. You know, how far can I go? How much better can I get? I don't want to quit. Absolutely, I so. love that about you, Ed. Every time we get to meet uh, over a cup of coffee, you're always asking good questions. You're always listening and wanting to improve. And that's so impressive to me as a 35 year old who is still young and and a young dad. And yet it's so inspiring to see somebody later in life and taking these steps. And I'll tell you, I'll never forget the day that I met you um, when you came through the, the doors of the chapel. And then a few days later we got together and we talked about God. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that you gave up on God for 50 years and then here you were back in the church. How did you overcome that hurdle for so long, staying out of church, having this bad view of God, thinking he points his finger at you like your dad did, but here you are back at the chapel, back at church. What led to that? Well, I was dragged into the chapel kicking and screaming by... By a couple of friends. That's very, actually true. Very, di- very, well, I wasn't really kicking and screaming, but <laughs> maybe a little. <laughs> but I had a couple of very dear friends who were, who are, are deeply rooted in the chapel, um, invited me to come and they invited me enough times that I figured I really ought to go just to appease them. There you go. So I came over and I, I came once and you were teaching that day and I listened to you and I came. A second time, because I didn't want them to realize that I just became, that I just came to appease them. I didn't <laughs> want them to actually know that. So I came a second time, and you were teaching again. And then a third time came because I wanted to. Mm. It was rather comforting to listen to the teaching. Mm. And I began to come regularly and it took root so how did it go from god is this finger pointing god who's disappointed in you to a god that loves you and accepts you for who you are what was that transition like the transition was incredible 
Um, I don't want anybody to get the idea that my life is perfect because it's because it's not. Yeah. I'm a work in progress. Yep. Um, but I'm but I'm a grateful work in progress. Mm. And when I came to the chapel and I began to hear the teachings where you actually openly said that the Lord loves us no matter what, mm. that we're that we're uh, all special. And uh, and and the Lord welcomes us. I mm-hmm. mean, it was it was every every service that I have attended in some way or another brings across the idea that the that we are welcome with the Lord, mm-hmm. and that was new to me. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a a comforting teaching, a comfortable teaching. Um, and it began to fill up the hole in the middle of me that had been there for a half a century. Wow. And uh, uh, as far as the hurdle of becoming of coming back to Christianity, uh, I, I really don't look at it as a hurdle. It was not hard. It was just being in the right place at the right time and mm. being dragged, kicking and screaming <laughs> through the doors of the chapel. Um, I'll tell a little story. Sure. Um, the first time I was here, I heard you teach. And the second time I heard you teach. And I thought to myself the second time, I really ought to talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, the next time I came to the chapel and walked through the door, you were standing just inside the door looking me in the eye. <laughs> it was like, whoa. Um so coincidence? Yeah, I don't think Who so. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, I walked up to you and shook your hand and and uh, said uh, I'd like to talk with you. And you pulled out your your telephone and said Thursday two o'clock. Mm. And so we got together Thursday two o'clock. Well, I told you this before, and I tell you this again. That was a divine appointment for me because I have learned so much from you, and I truly look up to you in so many ways. And I've only known the Ed who is that humble, kind, transparent person after Jesus rescued you. (laughs) What are the people in your life, like your daughter and close friends, what are they saying after this transformation over these last couple of years? My daughter encourages me. I have tried to drag her kicking and screaming to the chapel, and she has occasionally. Yes, she has, yep. Uh, but I think she recognizes the peace that I have found, uh, recognizes the comfort that that Christianity gives me, and hopefully, hopefully, um, maybe eventually she'll she'll seek some of that too. Mm. Uh, she's a good good girl. Yeah, she uh, is, and she is. She's very good to me. She always has been. Mm. Um, hopefully. She will eventually find what I found, mm. but you know, there's there's no way you can. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's right. And uh, so far, she recognizes that it's been good for me. Yeah. So, Ed, as we kind of wrap up, uh, I want to know for you, what's on the horizon in your life? What's the thing that, when you wake up in the morning, you're excited about? how are you taking those next steps in your life when it comes to your faith and what do you want to see happen in the near future? I just want to keep living. Mm. I want to, I want to learn more about Christianity. 
uh, I read every morning mm-hmm. um, a little bit uh, from various books, Tozer and, and uh, Keller. And uh, I learn every day. Mm. Uh, I look forward to coming to the chapel uh, on the weekends for services. And you're one of our camera guys. Well, I, I and used lights to be. too. <laughs> yeah. so I do lights. And, yeah, you yeah, help out in in any way that I can. Yeah. Uh, I love being here. The camaraderie at the chapel is uh, is something that I've missed in life, in other in other uh, uh, aspects. But so you know, it, it's just wonderful. As far as what's on the future, I don't know. Mm. Uh, life, yeah, you know, life's in the future. Yeah. Uh, Christianity's in the future. Yeah, um, I'll take it as it comes, because I'm I'm better equipped now than I used to be. Mm. Much better equipped. Well, Ed, thank you. Um, as our first ever guest, you did not disappoint, and more than that, I am so glad that people are going to walk away from this understanding. No matter what has happened in their life, God has a plan, and it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 70 that God wants to wrap his arms around them. So thank you for telling your story and being honest, mm-hmm. and we just so appreciate you, Ed. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, it has been a great privilege and an honor to be here. It's. Uh, I don't want anybody to get the idea that my life is perfect, but my life is better, Yeah. and it gets better every day. And it's because I've begun to realize that there is a God out there and that he does care for me. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed.